0: Amen. Hey, that's a great song. It's great to to worship together every single Sunday. And if uh, if we haven't met yet, uh, hey, I'm Jack. I'm glad that you're here, especially if you're new. Uh, I met a couple new people, and I know coming to a new place takes courage and uh, kind of getting out of a comfort zone. And I hope that you would sense that this is a place where you can kind of be you and investigate Jesus and take next steps with him and and just even if you're just curious maybe you're coming back to church from a long time away and I just I'm proud of you I'm proud of you for coming I'm proud of you for being here I'm proud of you for owning your spiritual journey and, and growing in that. So, we've been in uh, this series called Disciple, looking through the Gospel of Matthew. We're taking the first part of this kind of fall semester to do that. And so, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 11. We'll be there in a minute, but we'll just kind of catch you up. This is Matthew's Gospel that the Holy Spirit has inspired him to write and it written down. And, and we remember, Matthew's story is he was a tax collector, he was a traitor uh, to his own people. And he was probably really wealthy because that's what tax collectors did. They kind of took tax for uh, Rome and then they kind of shaved off a little bit for themselves. Like, hey, you owe 100 bucks. Well, sorry, just check the books. You owe 150. And then they would pocket the 50. And then that's how it would go. And that's why the Jewish people had such a disdain for tax collectors. And they spoke about that. And and yet there was something about this guy, Jesus, that Matthew kind of became captivated by. And said there was something about, I've got to follow after him. And so he leaves everything and follows after Jesus. And Matthew's life is all this point of kind of, do we have an amber alert? (laughs) It's a flood warning. This is the week I should have brought the boat. Uh, Sorry, gang. My bad. My bad. If you have no idea why people are laughing, just watch last week 's sermon. So okay, <clears throat> really, there' only been room for twelve of us. Uh, sorry, uh, eleven of you <laughs> just, um, but um, I love you, but okay, anyway, Matthew, right, so Matthew leaves this tax collector gig. Follows after Jesus, and if you study Matthew's life, he actually goes all the way to the end. He becomes a martyr for the faith. And so what captivates somebody that would leave and kind of give up that and go following after Jesus? And what we have to understand, again, is a disciple is not an intern. An intern is someone who just does tasks. They do assignments. In fact, they do the assignments that the manager doesn't want to do anymore and didn't want to do in the first place. And so a disciple is radically different because it's, it's really this apprenticeship, uh, someone who would maybe apprentice underneath an artist or someone they want to become like that artist. They want to become like that rabbi in the first century days. And Jesus was a rabbi. And so you would apprentice yourself to him. You would follow wherever he goes. And what he would do, you would begin to try to do. So what did Jesus do to help disciple the disciples? That's what we're looking at. This through the Gospel of Matthew. We looked in the first couple weeks in chapter eight. In the first part of chapter eight is Jesus has finished the Sermon on the Mount. He comes down, there's this leper that approaches him, and Jesus, with this willing heart, reaches out and touches this man with leprosy. We, we know that doesn't heal him. It's the words Jesus uses to heal But Jesus all throughout his life, as you look at his life, has this willing heart. And one of the markers of someone who is a disciple apprenticing themselves to Jesus is simply this. Are you growing a willing heart? Is your heart growing more and more to be willing to follow and do what Jesus would do, to say what he would say, to to go where he would go, and to maybe touch the untouchables around you? Our society is really good at, at marking people as untouchable. And yet, what we see in the life of Jesus is that never stopped him. Mm-hmm. And so, as a disciple of him, how are we doing at growing in that? And last week, we looked at this idea of the Jesus and the boat story and the storm and um, how Jesus stands up and calms this storm. And for professional fishermen, this would have been a crazy thing because they are coming to Jesus going, we're freaking out, we're going to drown. Uh, their alert went off on their phone. And... They are kind of going to this place, and they're professionals. They've been around this. They know Jesus, or they know what's going on. They get Jesus. Jesus stands up, says, where's your faith? And he calms the storm immediately. And they were kind of overwhelmed by the storm in one minute, and then they're undone in the next minute because of who's in the boat with them. And the tendency for us, just a reminder, is we shrink at Jesus sometimes, if we're just honest. Because in the church, we've done a pretty good job of letting people know Jesus is your friend, and he can be your friend, and he desperately wants to be known as that for you. But listen, listen. He is way more than just your buddy. He is way bigger than you'll ever get your mind around. So don't shrink him. Let him be big. It says at the end of that story that disciples marveled at Jesus, When's the last time you marveled? Because marvel is to worship. It's to be undone, to be caught up in awe of who Jesus is, to to be captivated by him. Increasing awe is to mark the life of a disciple because following after Jesus is a continual encounter with a God who is way bigger than you think he is. And so don't shrink him. So tonight in Matthew chapter 11, we're gonna turn our attention to another early follower of Jesus, John the Baptist. And we're gonna look at his story a little bit because I think it helps meet us as people who want to be an apprentice, a disciple of Jesus, who's trying to learn because what he ended up navigating, I'm convinced we're all gonna navigate in certain times. And so we need to know what to do when we get to those seasons, when we get to those moments. And he's navigating some questions and some struggles that are beginning to surface within his life, he's navigating doubt. Anyone ever had doubts before? Maybe, maybe um, I remember going to, uh, <coughs> to my wife's grandmother's house, like the very first time, right? and she collected all this primitive American antiques. And I remember going to the table, and she would had all these cool chairs that looked like you know toothpicks with wicker on them. And she said, here, sit here. And I'm like, oh, I'm American, and I have girth. And that looks like it was made for someone who's 80 pounds. And so I'm kind of worried and nervous the very first time in your house to sit this chair and she was like no 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 sit here and I didn't say all that that was going on in my head and I remember sitting down with these doubts of like I don't know if this is gonna hold me up and thankfully it did it saved all embarrassing moments for everybody and that's that's awesome but maybe you've had doubt anyone ever road trip before and you get start getting the hangries, right and so you pull into the convenience store and they've got different things there and then you see the sushi listen you should doubt in that moment okay that QT. That's why Jesus didn't eat sushi. And so, um, maybe you have doubt because your team is down in the fourth quarter and you're like, I don't know. And then your doubts become true and you're like, ugh, sad. Maybe your friend is telling you a story and you're like, I don't know if I'm hearing the whole story. Anyone ever? Yeah. See, doubt is a part of life and I think doubts will surface in our spiritual journey as well. In fact, I believe navigating doubt is something that will surface in everyone who pursues a life of faith. I, I think it's just par for the course. It, it's what will happen. So what do you do in those moments? And we see John the Baptist struggling with some doubt and some questions, some background for him. Remember. John the Baptist, like hero of the faith, right? This is the one who was the precursor to Jesus. He's the one to kind of pave the way and bring people's attention to the Messiah is coming. That's Jesus. He's gonna be here soon. I'm just kind of pointing to him. Just increase, I'm gonna decrease. That's the life of John the Baptist. And so here's what we see in Matthew chapter 11. Ready? Matthew chapter 11, verse two. Here's what it says. If you have a pen, get ready. John the Baptist, comma, who was in prison, circle that, that's the key, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been expecting or should we be looking for someone else? Can you hear the question? This is John the Baptist, like, of anyone that should know is John the Baptist, right? Mm. This is a person, a hero of the faith, and what we begin to understand is that John's life has kind of taken this detour in a way. Herod Antipas, who was the, kind of the, the Herod who was over this region, had uh, taken him as a prisoner because he had called Herod out for marrying his sister-in-law, um, and Herod didn't like being questioned, and he was a person of kind of great power and great debauchery, and it's just kind of that's how he lived, and so he threw John in prison. And I think sometimes he would come and have John talk to him because he liked John, but really he just threw him back into prison. We don't know for exactly how long he's been there. We know, obviously, he's got some messengers that were still hanging around, some disciples of John that were there, and John sends them to Jesus. He brought news Because John's hearing all the commotion and all the buzz about Jesus, but that's not matching his life. And he's in a season of darkness. And he's in a season of struggle. I mean, think about it. This is John the Baptist, who we know from Scripture, that in the very womb of his own mother, Elizabeth, when he heard the voice of Mary, who was carrying Jesus, leapt within the womb. Like, there's a special connection here. We are told that he baptized Jesus and supernaturally saw the the kind of dove descending, the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove landing on Jesus. He hears the voice of God declare, this is my dearly loved son, Jesus, whom brings me great joy. John was there. John's the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the world. This is John, who later is in in this darkness is at a different point. And some struggles are becoming real. Some doubts begin to creep in. See, doubt tends to arrive in terms and times of isolation. When we isolate ourselves or we're experiencing isolation, darkness has a way of growing that. Doubts like mushrooms begin to grow and flourish in darkness and here he is not a moment he chose but a moment he's living in that's why it's important for us when we're in those dark seasons of life not to isolate not to withdraw not to pull away there could be a moment of that when you get yourself to a place of isolation that's exactly where the enemy wants you to be Because in that darkness is where things grow and things become bigger and, and reality gets reshaped, in ways. And falsehoods become truths that you hold on to when they're not really true. But in those moments, we have a tendency to go there. That's why the Bible always says, be together, community matters. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, and let us not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Let's hold to this hope that we have, that we can encourage one another, that as we share those struggles we're having in those seasons of darkness that we all go through as we navigate doubt and questions at times, that the Holy Spirit can use God's word to breathe truth back into us. He can use godly people around us to speak truth and hope back into us because we're connected. Community matters. That's why we do e-groups around here. It's why we have e-teams that you can serve on. We want you connected one to another. The importance of that helps you navigate some of those dark times that we can discover hope even when we're struggling with doubt or questions. Now, there's a positive side to doubt. Doubt can push us to search out truth and confirmation. That's what John does in this moment. In John chapter three or, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 3, John says, hey, I'm going to send some disciples ahead to Jesus. He sends them out and he says, look, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we're supposed to be waiting for? Because I've got these questions. I must increase, you must increase. I didn't think that meant prison. My life Is vastly different, John is saying. I'm isolated. I don't like the season I'm in. But he sends these messengers. And what I love about Jesus is he receives this. You know what Jesus doesn't do in this moment? He doesn't rebuke John. Isn't that precious? He the Bible says Jesus responds but he doesn't rebuke, and in the serious questions and doubts and struggles of life, Jesus is not shocked. Why, because he's way bigger than you think he is. He's not surprised, nothing knocks him off his throne. You're not gonna say something to him where he's gonna go like, what? He's not surprised. Don't let your doubts drive you away from Jesus. Let your doubts drive you to Jesus. When you have seasons of struggle or questions or doubts, that's a moment where you can turn toward Jesus and bring those to him. He is big enough to handle it. And he's big enough to meet you in that moment. He doesn't rebuke, he responds. He says here, you go back. Jesus replied, if you have a pen, circle that. He replied, he doesn't rebuke. You go back and report to John what you have heard and what you have seen, tangible, What you have heard and what you have seen. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy or skin disease are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Everything that's been happening in Matthew so far. Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. We see him rebuking a storm in one minute, but he doesn't rebuke disciples who have honest questions and struggles. He responds, he receives, he meets us in those moments. Look at the response to John. Because after he tells them go back and tell he, he turns to the crowd and he says, "What did you go out to see? A reed blown by the wind? No, you went out to see someone strong in faith." And he uplifts John in front of the whole crowd you can read it in Matthew chapter 11 he says no one born of woman is greater than John none he affirms his prophetic role of what he came to do says John the Messiah everything you read about is happening it's going to be okay even if your situation isn't okay The Messiah accomplishing everything that the Old Testament prophesied about, everything that's been affirmed. See, doubt dealt with in healthy ways can lead us to reassurance and to restoration with Jesus. If we bring that to him, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and what you have heard. The the practical, tangible expression of God's activity moving and changing hearts around. When you're in a season of doubt or struggle or questions, when you're in a bout with doubt, practice remembering. When you're in a bout with doubt, practice the discipline of remembering. Go back to those times, those moments where Jesus' activity and presence in your life was palatable and you, see, you saw it, you experienced it, you felt him, you knew him that in those moments, Jesus is moving and God is moving in your life because when you're in a different season and your situation has changed and the doubts and the struggles may be there, those are the moments that are kind of like those isolation even emotionally. And what we need to remember is God's been there and he is still there. That the Holy Spirit can remind you of those times where Jesus has been active in your life. See, faith and doubt are not mutually exclusive. And often we kind of push it that way, but it's not. Jesus is the one who can meet us in the places of doubt. That's what we see here in Matthew chapter 11. It's what you see in John chapter 20 with Thomas. We we call Thomas doubting Thomas. Let's just call him human Thomas. Because doubting is a part of human experience. And it's in those moments, what do you do? That's why you don't let doubts and struggles and questions drive you away from God. Let them steer you toward God. He's big enough to handle those questions. He's big enough to bring them to him and say, God, I need help with this. I don't understand. I'm frustrated. And that you can bring those moments to him. He is faithful and trustworthy, even when things seem uneasy and unstable, because he's big. Wrestling with doubts in God does not equal losing or quitting faith. But you've got to let yourself wrestle through it and not just run away from it. In fact, honest questions, sincere doubts and even wading through deep hurts can draw you closer to God than maybe any other time that you've felt him or sensed him in your life. Because he loves to meet people In those moments, Thomas, here's my hands, here's my feet, I came back for you. He didn't have to, but two specific instances. We see Jesus affirming, not rebuking, but responding to people's questions and doubts. Don't let your doubt drive you away from God. Let it drive you toward God. A committed believer can wrestle with doubts and questions with God while still embracing and clinging to the goodness of God, that he is good all the time, even when I don't feel it or I don't sense it, because my situation has changed. A circumstance often can yell at that. Listen, I believe God would rather have you yell at him in proximity than for you to turn your back and walk away from him. He is big enough to handle it. He doesn't get emotional like we do. He's big enough to handle that. Uh, Craig Rochelle wrote a book that I read this week, uh, Hope in the Dark. And if you're in a season of maybe that darkness, that, that isolation, then uh, pursue community. It matters. It helps. But this might be a great book for you. He says this, peaks are nice, but you don't see many farms on mountaintops. Why? Because things grow better in the valleys. Your time in the valley may not be pleasant, but it's in the valleys of life that you grow closer to God and stronger in your faith. That it's in those moments where you grow relationally. Listen, we can have a thousand experiences with God that are amazing on the mountaintops, and I hope you have 10,000. But we come to know God best when we're navigating the valleys. Of our journey that's where relationships grow you know this to be true think of your best friends I bet some of your best best closest friends are people who have walked through the valleys with you and walked through the challenges with you and they haven't you and they've been there the whole times Don't let your doubts drive you away from God. Feel free to reach out to Jesus. You often have to push through the honest doubts in life to develop a stronger faith. It's working yourself through those questions and through those struggles because faith and doubt are not mutually exclusive. I marvel at the last words of Matthew. We're not gonna even totally get there, but the last words of Matthew just go with me on this. Matthew chapter 28, we know it is the Great Commission, right? And we'll talk about that in the end of the series. But I want you to see something that's fascinating to me. Verse 16, here's what it says Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus said, When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Think about that. These 11 disciples, right? Because one's committed suicide after giving Jesus over. So we get 11 disciples who have spent how many years around Jesus? Three plus. Seeing every kind of miracle in the world, right? Their proximity to Jesus was amazing. And they see him post-resurrection. And they go to this mountain where he says, meet me here. And they worship, but some doubted. I think that's amazing that Matthew didn't hide that. Can you imagine what that would have been like those first few months after the resurrection? I think that happened. That's crazy. I think that happened. That's so crazy. And doubt and struggle and questions were a part of their journey. Why? Because it's a part of the human condition. And who's big enough to handle it? God. He doesn't rebuke. He doesn't respond. This amazing passage in Jude, uh, chapter one. In fact, Jude only has one chapter, so if you're ever looking for a book of the Bible to memorize, uh, I suggest Jude. So, He says this, but you dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love, As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into eternal life, be merciful to those who doubt. Doubt is a part of the human condition doubt within the church and doubt outside the church. To a watching world, let's just call it for what it is. The church yells, much. Be merciful to those who doubt. Why? Because Jesus loves to meet people at the point of their doubt. And he does that in surprising ways, and he'll do that in continual ways. Why? Because the heart of Jesus is to draw people back to the Father. That's his mission. That's what he does. And the church is just to fall in line with that, that our savior is a savior who searches after people who have questions and searches after people who have doubts and who have struggles in life inside the church and out. That his heart searches for people. Doubt is a part of the human journey. I love what biblical scholar Frederick Bruner says this. This is awesome. The Christian faith is bipolar. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Disciples live their life between worship and doubt, trusting and questioning, hoping and worrying. There's this tension all navigated. Jesus is big enough to meet you He's big enough to meet you in those seasons. Disciples are not people who never doubt. They are people who've chosen to bring their doubts and their struggles and their questions to Jesus. They desire to grow in faith because they want to have a faith that's grounded in something bigger than their circumstance, but grounded upon their Savior in his life and in his character. That's where we find biblical faith. Oswald Chambers says this, faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. It's deliberate confidence in who God is, not in how much faith I have in that particular moment. I don't know if you've ever walked out on a frozen pond before. It's nice to think about that when it's 100 degrees in here, it feels like. Um, But, wore a gray shirt. That's awesome. Okay. So uh, this idea of walking out on the pond. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been a pond, anyone? Uh, it, you kind of begin at the edge and you begin to inch your way out. And, and what you're testing is confidence of the ice that you have, the object called ice, right? You're trying to understand. And uh, what's going on. You're trying to, to be a person who is helping and kind of beginning to get past some of that fear, that apprehension that you may have. And, and the further you go out, now I've been on some where I've seen people who are bigger than me out on the ice and I'm like, okay, this should be fine, right? But have you ever gone out on a pond where you've not had anyone out there? And in that moment you're apprehensive and you're kind of easing your way out. Why? Because you don't want to get all wet. See, biblical faith is understanding that biblical faith always depends on the object of faith, not the quantity or quality of your faith. Biblical faith is about putting your faith in the object of which you have faith, meaning this, you can have very little faith and stand on thick ice and you're just fine. You can have all the faith in the world and jump on thin ice and drown. Because it's not about how much faith you have. It's about what you have your faith on. What you have built, that's biblical faith. It's why the Bible never says believe. It always says believe in the Lord Jesus. The Bible doesn't say have faith. It says have faith in God, have faith in Jesus. Why? It's has the strength. I think that's why Jesus gave us communion. He said, do this in remembrance of me. That in those moments, he's re-anchoring us to the reality of him. Not how much faith we have and we can muster up in that moment, but the object of our faith, our savior, because he's big enough and he's strong enough to secure us and to meet us and hold us. No matter the doubts or struggles or questions we have, we can turn to him. And so in a moment, we're gonna continue on with service and and take communion. We kind of do this almost every week. We've got communion down here, gluten-free crackers down here, people in the back. And if you're new, we just kind of create some space for you to do that on your own. We're gonna go back into a couple worship songs to end tonight. But my challenge for you is simply this. Don't let your doubts and questions turn you away from God. Trust him enough to turn toward him with those questions and those struggles. And I promise you, he will meet you. Do I know exactly what that's gonna look like? No. But you will find him. More so, he will find you. And so, God, that's what we pray, that we'd be a people, a disciple, uh, an apprentice of you, that as we navigate this human journey, that as we come up against those struggles and those doubts and those questions, we wouldn't turn away from you, but we would turn toward you. That we would be people who, to learn to, to bring those to you that you're not surprised, you're not shocked, you don't rebuke, but you respond and you meet us in those moments. So as we take communion here in a moment, I pray that this would re-anchor us once again as we worship in song, that we would be a people who commit our lives to you. Questions and all. That we would aim in your direction, we would follow after you, would be honest in wrestling with you, that you're not opposed to meeting us in those wrestling matches. And I pray for hope, for answers, for truth, for your love to meet each one of us as we navigate those seasons. Help us to be a church that encourages one another as we navigate those seasons, as we tackle tough questions going through them. Would you move in our hearts in these next few moments? We pray that in Jesus' name.